the talk station. Happy Tuesday. Kenny Loggins, because you're in the danger zone. Well, that may be true. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. And I'm wishing you a happy Tuesday regardless. I'm glad Monday's over. Lord Almighty. Apologies for yesterday's lament. And uh, feeling a little bit better this morning. And uh, too sweet if you're out there. I have my citrus blend uh, aromatherapy oil. He called yesterday. He said, if you're feeling down, man, you need to the lemon oil and uh, rosemary and whatever. I was like, I knew I had some of these at home. He's my son's kind of a naturalist when it comes to things. So there you go. Too sweet. Appreciate the recommendation. Feeling better. Don't know if I can attribute that to the lemon that I'm smelling or that it's just Tuesday and no longer Monday. Anyway, it's a great day to be listening to the 55 care scene morning show. Really excited about the seven o'clock hour, the return of Frank Wettenkamp. You're like, who? Oh, he's a great guy. 96-year-old World War II veteran. Uh, Drew Pappas is going to bring him in the studio. We're going to have more stories. Uh, we'll hear about his time in World War II, but also um, his long-term friendship and relationship with Buddy LaRosa, another I mean, a, a Cincinnati icon, Buddy LaRosa. So uh, Frank Wettenkamp in studio at 7 o'clock. I just am really looking forward to that. He's just the nicest guy. He's got great stories and uh, sharp as a razor, considering he's 96. If Joe Biden could only have at his youthful age as much sense and uh, quick-wittedness as Frank Wettenkamp. 705 for Frank. And AWR Hawkins, I love talking to him. He's with Breitbart. He's the expert on all things firearms. AWR returns at 805 for the Breitbart Inside Scoop. We'll talk shootings, Jacksonville, violence in Chicago, and of all things, Two people got shot at a White Sox game. I don't know if you saw that story. How is that even possible? Of all the places in the world, you think a ballpark would be, you know, free of gun violence. How in the hell did you get a gun in the ballpark anyway? I thought they scanned for stuff like that. That's why we get AWR Hawkins, 805, to talk about it. And my good friend, friend of everybody who's in the uh, need for good roofers, veteran, Ray Matre, co-owner of Fast and Pro Roofing. He'll be on for Ask the Expert. Plan ahead. Regular roofing inspections. This is just solid advice. Yes, he's with Fast and Pro, but this is just solid advice for any homeowner. Get ahead of the problems, and you'll save yourself a lot of money. Uh, I'm all about that. Anybody who knows me knows that uh, don't spend it if you don't have to. So there's your lineup today. Always enjoy hearing from you. 513-749-5500, talk or go with pound 550 on AT&T phones. Looks like a uh, hurricane's going to be hitting uh, Florida here. Storm's going to be rapidly intensifying over the Gulf because the water's warm. Apparently, that's what happens. They say maybe end up being a Cat 3. Extreme risk for impact. The Big Bend region uh, there in the Florida. Uh, so the um, Gulf Coast of the Panhandle and Peninsula, most risk of the <clears throat> for life-threatening storm surge, flooding, damaging winds, torrential wane as the hurricane... <clears throat> Uh, which is supposed to hit the coast uh, tomorrow morning. Officials have already issued mandatory evacuation orders on uh, yesterday for parts of Pinellas and Hillsborough counties in Florida due to life-threatening conditions that are anticipated. And I heard the governor talking the other day, you know, you don't need to drive out of the state. You just need to get inland to higher ground because of the storm surge. And the storm surge, it sounds like they could be really, really bad. Uh 
not out of the question, according to AccuWeather and other, I guess, meteorologists, some portions of Tampa Bay, they say, could see storm surges of seven to eight feet. That's expert Dan Katowski's conclusion. He is the AccuWeather lead hurricane expert. Greatest storm surge, perhaps 10 to 15 feet expected near and just to the east of the uh, of, of wherever it makes landfall. So that's some serious storm, storm surge. And, you know, Florida is basically at sea level. So they're uh, encouraging people to evacuate, move out, just get inland. And uh, maybe everything will be okay. We'll find out. Just a little update on, on that. What else is going on? Ah, ready, fire, aim. I don't know why uh, the Donald Trump election interference lawsuits came to mind when I saw this. I remember when he first filed a lot of the suits. I, my point on the radio was being a litigation attorney for so many years, it takes forever to, to gather together evidence in support of your claim. And sometimes you have to file a claim in order to get the evidence. But you got to go in with a straight face. You got to go in with pleadings that have uh, that state a cause of action justifying uh, a continuation of the case rather than a dismissal. Ready, fire, aim. Maui suing the Hawaiian Electric Company because they claim that the power wasn't shut off. Oh, no, 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 says Hawaiian Electric, impacting its stock dramatically in response to the complaint that was filed against them for their failure to de-energize the power lines. Hawaiian Electric Industries stock jumped 43% after they replied to what the Hawaiian Electric Industries say is a baseless lawsuit. Sheila Kimura, president and CEO of Hawaiian Electric, we were surprised and disappointed that the county of Maui rushed to court even before completing its own investigation. We believe the complaint is factually and legally irresponsible, inconsistent with the path that we believe should be pursued as a resilient community, committed and accountable to each other, as well as to Hawaii's future. And you love, they always have to interject statements like that when they're responding. Anyway, unfortunately, they concluded the county's lawsuit may leave us no choice in the legal system, but to show its responsibility for what happened that day. In other words, they're they're, they're pointing back at Maui because of its failures. What happened? 6.30 a.m., the, quote, morning fire, which was, and it says, appears to have been caused by power lines that fell during high winds. Okay. Energized power lines, high winds, sparked a fire at 630 in the morning. Maui, Maui County Fire Department responded to the fire, and it reported it was 100% contained. So contained that they left the scene. They said it had been extinguished. Fire out at 6.30 in the morning. Fast forward to 3 p.m. the same day. All of Hawaiian Electric power lines in West Maui had been de-energized for more than six hours. They were de-energized after the 6.30 in the morning fire. So, between 6.30 and the extinguishing 100% contained morning fire, about 3 p.m., again, after six hours of the energy lines being depowered, the quote-unquote, afternoon fire began in relatively the same area. They don't know what caused that fire. I'll leave it for you to speculate. 
Utility also said records conclusively established that Hawaiian electric power lines to Lahaina were not energized when the afternoon fire broke out shortly before 3 p.m. on August 8th. In a field near Lahaina Intermediate School, power had been out for more than six hours. There was no electricity flowing through the wires in the area or anywhere else in the Maui in, in West Maui Coast. Hawaiian Electric has informed ATF investigators of the availability of records demonstrating these facts. They have a chart in the, in the in the reporting that I saw. It shows you the power energized, and it's like a complete shutdown. The line drops straight down like a crashed stock. Small boarding fire scene videos taken by local residents began more than eight hours earlier. Those videos show the power lines had fallen to the ground in high winds near the intersection of a couple of roads there about 630. Small fire can be seen by the down line spread to a field across the street. Maui Fire Department showed up promptly. According to the department's public statement, that morning by 9 a.m., the morning fire was, quote, 100% contained, close quote. That's the Maui Fire Department's words. Maui County Fire Chief subsequently reported that the fire department had determined that the morning fire was extinguished and the fire department left the scene by 2 p.m. Once that fire was out, Hawaiian Electric Emergency Crews showed up at the, that intersection to make repairs to the down power line. They saw no fire, smoke, or embers. All lines line remained de-energized and all power in the area remained off. Shortly before 3 p.m., while the power remained off, our crew members saw a small fire about 75 yards away from the intersection where the original fire started. They immediately called 911, reported the fire. However, by the time the Maui County Fire Department showed up on the scene of the second fire, it was too late. They could not contain it. It spread out of control and the town burned to the ground. Slightly different narrative, isn't it? Ready, fire, aim. So the big question, I guess you can point fingers in multiple directions. It sounds to me like Hawaiian Electric is maybe blaming the Maui Fire Department. They're certainly blaming Maui for filing a lawsuit that may have been frivolous or probably is frivolous, depending on who you believe. But I'm going to go with Hawaiian Electric. Uh, at least in terms of the way things currently stand. If they had de-energized all those lines, they had nothing to do with that second fire and therefore nothing to do with the town burning to the ground. Maybe the Maui Fire Department will get a lawsuit. I don't think you can do that, though. Anyway, 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK, pound 550 on AT&T phones. Biden has lost his mind. And it, interestingly enough, the vast majority of Americans, both Republican and Democrat, and presumably also independents, think, yeah, the guy has just lost it. He is way, way, way too old. And I think it's less to do with age since uh, the majority of people polled said Donald Trump is not too old, even though he's only a few years younger than Joe Biden. I think it all has to do with his cognitive ability, folks. 516-55 KRCD Talk Station. Head on over to 55kc.com, recruit military job fair information. That's taking place today. It's online, easy to do. You just log on to recruitmilitaryjob.com. It's for family members, uh, children of military veterans, and, of course, veterans. God love each and every one of you. Christopher Smitherman, I have a right to my own opinion. Christopher Smitherman, the Monday morning Smith event. And Brigham McGowan yesterday from the uh, Hudson Institute talking energy policy right there. 55kc.com, stream the audio, and get your iHeartMedia app. Yeah, okay, first off, from the he's making it up as he goes along category, Joe Biden 
claims he literally, literally, in his word, literally, was the one responsible for convincing South Carolina Democrat turn Republican Senator Strom Thurmond to vote for the Civil Rights Act. Apparently, he was speaking on the 60th anniversary of the founding of the Civil Rights Legal Group Lawyers Committee for the Civil for Civil Rights Under Law. At the White House, Biden had this to say, pause for just a moment. I thought things had changed. I was able to literally not figuratively talk Strom Thurmond into voting for the Civil Rights Act before he died. And I thought, well, maybe there's real progress, but hate never dies. It just hides. It hides under the rocks. Okay, that sounds like a bold statement. Sounds plausible, at least on its face, until you realize that Joe Biden was only 21 years old when Strom Thurmond voted for the Civil Rights Act. Biden was nowhere near the Senate. He was elected to the Senate, I guess, at age 29, but that obviously happened a long, long time later. They were not contemporaries in the Senate. (laughs) So... Somebody needs to fact check him. I guess, you know what? I guarantee you that he went off script. That's what Biden does. As soon as he looks up from his notes that have been meticulously written down for him in 30-point bold font so he can read them, don't go off the script, Joe. Don't go off the script. And, of course, all of this is coming home. We all realize how frail and feeble his mind is. Associated Press, Nork Poll, conducted just recently. Determined that 77% of Americans say Biden is too old to carry out a second term. Broken down, 89% of Republicans believe that. How in the, How is it possible that 11% of Republicans think he is not too old? 69% of Democrats say Biden is no longer up to the job. That is a substantial chunk of Democrats. That said, turning over to Trump, less than half of Americans think Trump is too old for office. He's only three years younger than Biden, parenthetically. Poll taken April 10th to 14th, sample drawn from Nork's probability-based America Speak panel, which is designed to to be representative of the U.S. population. Plus or minus 3.8 margin of error. So go ahead and do the math on that one, even if you subtract... Four points, that would still be 65% of Democrats thinking he's not capable of doing the job. Hmm. They also broke it down one more. They asked an extra question. Do you think there should be age limits on the presidency, Congress, and Supreme Court? Two-thirds of Americans say yes, there should be age limits, which reminds me of many conversations I've had with iHeartMedia aviation expert Jay Ratliff about pilots being forced to retire at age 65. He finds that to be, well, ridiculous. Just because someone turned 65 doesn't necessarily mean they can't fly a plane anymore. Just because someone is 80 doesn't necessarily mean they can't be president. Unless you start looking at their cognitive ability and you look at Joe Biden and you try to get him to answer a question or do something that's not on script. Then you realize that, yeah, well, maybe sometimes when you're that old, you're not capable of performing the task necessary to be the most powerful human being on the planet. I think we've all arrived at that conclusion it's bulletproof. You can't argue. 525, 55 KRCD Dog Station. Call. Happy Tuesday, 530. Do have local stories, but of course. Fortunately, it is tradition. Tom's on the line. 513-749-5500-800-823-TALK. You can call as well. Tom, welcome back, my friend. Always good to hear you on a 
5.30 on a, a morning show morning. Great. Yeah, good morning. Uh, got that out. A <laughs> um, couple of things that over the last couple of days to uh, put right up at the top of the list of why uh, we should never vote for Democrats. Uh, and I'm going to go in ascending order. Number two, apparently it is the car maker's fault. When cars get stolen, <laughs> I know I saw that. Right? right? <laughs> what the hell? Real, real I mean, quick here. Basically, the, the the new mayor of Chicago told Lori Lightfoot, "You think you were being stupid? Hold my beer. I got this." <laughs> I know. I love that. I, I I have that article. I mean, it's in my hand right now since you brought it up. Um, it's the same culture that wants to blame the gun as opposed to the criminal. Right. You're blaming the car because people are right. stealing them because you made it too easy to steal them as if, like, I'm not yeah. going to be able to control my own actions. Oh, look, it's a Kia. Oh, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. Right. Golly. Right. That's so ridiculous. It is just... And then, and then uh, vaulting, to the, vaulting to the top of the list is, is this talk about Democrats wanting to limit Americans to two beers a week? Is that what I heard? Yes, I talk, they, they, you know, they better put that fire out real quick because there's a lot of Democrats that drink beer as well, and and they they are uh, they're playing with fire there. Well, um, just because. You know, well, wait a minute, yep. Tom. You know as well as I. Just because the government recommends it doesn't mean anybody's going to listen to it. Government guidelines already say you're supposed to only have if you're a guy two beers or like two ounces of spirits. Uh, women, you're half of that because you're women. Even if you identify as a guy, biologically speaking, you'd still be in the women guidelines. But I mean, do you, do you know anybody that drinks more than two beers a day? I do. <laughs> I know a lot of people yeah, that there's do. A, there's a few people out there. And and has, has, why do you think some of these Democrats actually vote Democrat? Because they're because they're drunk. They ha- <laughs> it has to be the reason. I, it, there can't be this many insane people in the world that vote for Democrats. So. They, they need to do something about that or they're really going to. I mean, did, did they not learn anything from the whole Bud Light fiasco? Don't mess with the beer. Leave the beer alone and, and you, you might get out of here unscathed. So don't vote Democrat. Have a great day, Brian. You too, Tom. Appreciate that. I appreciate the sentiment as well. Yeah, that is side-splittingly funny. And uh, he, he has, he's gotten mocked really pretty, pretty severely for uh, – this would be Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, the subject matter of that one, suing Kia like, because their cars are too easy to steal. Kia says it's fixed the problem, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't own a Kia. Uh, anyway, let's get a local story in here. we got three school districts in, uh, uh, actually, three, uh, two Kentucky school districts specifically have uh, canceled classes because of uh, dropped attendance due to COVID-19 and other illnesses. I must emphasize the and other illnesses part. Two districts in Kentucky announced in-person closures, citing rise in illness among staff and students. McGoffin County Schools said all schools were to close Thursday and Friday due to widespread illness. School officials said uh, attendance has been quite low over the past week. Mixture of viruses, including influenza and others, yes, COVID-19 is among them. Lee County School District announced illness-related closures for Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and non-traditional instruction for Thursday, Friday. Officials said there had been an increase in respiratory illnesses last couple of days and significant drop in attendance motivated the closure. Okay. Public Health Director at Kentucky River District Health Department that serves Lee County and six others in eastern Kentucky said ever since pandemic started, there's generally been a rise in illnesses when school first go back in session and people returned in large gatherings. 
Yeah, that does tend to happen. Cold and flu season comes when we start intermingling together. All right, one more. Uh, Claremont County Sheriff's Office has opened an investigation into an alleged affair between Municipal Court Judge Jesse Cramming and a 25-year-old administrative assistant. Sheriff's Office got a complaint July 14th about Cramming, 42 years old, engaging in sexual activities while on duty in the closet. Hmm. That complaint from the assistant's husband's aunt. You do the math on that one. Enquirer looked to uh, reach out to Cramming and the assistant, Allison Kersker, uh, with phone and emails. Neither responded. Kersker's husband and his aunt also did not respond. Scott Croswell, as Cramming's lawyer, said the allegations are unfounded. Quote, we only care uh, We only care that it's happening during work hours. She's a very pretty girl, but this just seems to so wrong. Kersker's in-law told Captain Chris Allen. According to video footage of the interview with the sheriff's office, which the Enquirer did get through public records request, Kramig uh, appointed to the municipal court in 2016, previously worked as the Ohio Attorney General's office, was assistant prosecutor in Hamilton County's Claremont County, in Hamilton County and Claremont County, I should more properly state, married with two children as well. So, salacious details and allegations involving the sheriff's office too 536 55 care city talk station stack oh stupid coming up alternatively feel free to call love talking with you maybe you got some topic you want to go down that road or talk about suing automobile manufacturers because they have an overwhelming proceed the talk station it is 541 coming up at 542 55 care city talk station stack is stupid uh, sweet and sour sauce. Yep. Because of sweet and sour sauce, we now have a dead 16 year old 16. Well, de- dead teenager plus a 16 year old girl. Now that's been charged with fatally stabbing another 16 year old outside of McDonald's in DC over the weekend in a fight. Police detectives said stemmed from an argument about sweet and sour sauce. Just walk away. Amen, brother. Uh, Naima Ligon. The slain team, who was formerly from Waldorf, Maryland, 13th person, younger than 18, killed so far this year than Washington. They're having a terrible problem with uh, youth crime. According to Judge Sherry Beatty Arthur in court, at the end of the day, someone is now dead over a dispute over sauce. At the hearing, D.C. Supreme Court on Monday, Detective Brendan Jasper testified that Ligon's stabbing emanated from an argument over sweet and sour sauce among three girls outside of McDonald's near 14th and U Streets just after 2 a.m. Jasper testified that Ligon and another girl began hitting a 16-year-old whose security camera footage showed did not initially fight back. But as reported, Ligon and her friend tried to get in a vehicle. The other 16-year-old lunged at Ligon with a 7.5-inch pocket knife, stabbing her in the chest and abdomen. Washington Post was there at the hearing on the condition that it not identify the teen who was charged because she's a teenager. 16-year-old who was charged with second-degree murder while armed pleaded what they call not involved, described as the juvenile equivalent of not guilty. Her attorney argued in court that the girl had acted in self-defense in a fight started by others. Prosecutors said, ah, the fight was over when the stabbing took place. Prosecutor Priscilla Guerrero, quote, she was the only person who brought a knife to a fist fight. 
Police say Ligon, who they initially reported incorrectly as being 17, was taken to the hospital. A private vehicle pronounced dead at the scene. The rest of the article, it's really sad, involves just the horrific amount of teenage crime that's going on in Washington, D.C. It's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Go to Tampa, Florida, where most of the stack of stupid comes from. Tampa police say undercover video shows a 36-year-old named Juming Lee sticking a syringe under his neighborhood's front door and injecting the liquid into the apartment. 36-year-old Umar Abdullah lives inside the apartment with his family and wife and daughter. Abdullah showed the uh, hidden camera, or showed the, he hid a camera inside of a plant facing his front door after he becomes suspicious of an odor. An odor? I made a little hole here, and I installed the camera, he said. He said for more than a month, chemical smell in the apartment was making his family sick. He said the symptoms included headaches, worse than migraines, nausea, shortness of breath, drowsiness, and they began losing their hair. Abdullah said he was shocked to capture the neighbor who lives downstairs on the video with a syringe. He says shortly after his one-year-old daughter was born, his neighbor began making noise complaints. Said Abdullah, if you look at him, he's holding his breath so he knows the hazardous nature of this chemical. He called Tampa police who sent out the hazmat team to investigate. According to the affidavit, hazmat team found methadone and hydrocodone when they tested the list, the uh, liquid. Lee arrested in June six charges, including aggravated stalking and dispersing a chemical agent. Abdullah, for his part, says the ordeals left his family shaken. They're now scared to make any noise whatsoever. Hmm. Lee was, was, important word in that sentence, a Ph.D. student, USF chemistry department, was enrolled in this summer session. According to the court documents, he pleaded not guilty to uh, all the charges released from the Hillsborough County Jail two days after his arrest. He's scheduled back in court in December. Here he is, the biggest douche of the universe. Got that right. In all the galaxies, there's no bigger douche than you. You've reached the top. The pinnacle of douche dumb. Good going, douche. Your dreams have come true. The judging committee of one has determined the award. On 55KRC, the talk station. 551, 55KRC, the talk station. Happy Tuesday. Brian Thomas, host of the 55KRC Morning Show. Joe Strucker, executive producer of the 55KRC Morning Show. And the stack is stupid. Got more items. And we will remain in Florida. <laughs> I love the smoking gun. The latest. The latest in a series of McDonald's cheeseburger attacks. We go to South Florida. A police officer has been accused of throwing a cheeseburger at his wife during a violent confrontation in their home. Why are you doing that? No idea, me. Investigators allege that who is, a man who's described as irate... Andres Perez, 34, the police officer, and his spouse were arguing about, quote, financial and infidelity issues, close quote. Ooh, that's a bad combo. Either one of those can cause problems. Anyway, that's when the lawman, according to the report, stormed into the kitchen in his wife's direction, throwing a McDonald's cheeseburger at her. Victim told police Perez then struck her with a closed fist to the right side of the head behind the ear during the incident. Perez and the woman have been in a relationship for about eight years and have been married for three of those and do share kids in common. Charged with misdemeanor battery, Perez booked into the county jail where uh, his mugshot was taken. He bonded out of the Broward County Jail. 
officer with the Miami-Dade Police Department. No word from the police department on whether he will be suspended from duty. Just walk away. Exactly. Exactly. The solution to so many of life's many problems. We stay in Florida. As is tradition. After an evening out drinking, red flag there. Florida woman allegedly served a nightcap spiked with raid bug killer to her boyfriend. <laughs> boyfriend all just happened to be father of one of her children. Baby daddy. According to the rest of David, Veronica Klein, who's 29, contacted the victim uh, early in the morning and said she was coming home from drinking at the bar and wanted him to serve her an alcoholic beverage so they could drink together. Klein and the 24-year-old victim, parents of a one-year-old girl. Klein has at least one older child with a different guy. After Klein showed up at the residence in uh, DeLeon Springs, the victim told the cops he consumed about two drinks when he began feeling sick. And after that, the man recalled that Klein admitted admitted adding Raid Roach Spray to his last couple of drinks. Why are you doing that? No idea. Victim told police uh, that he threw up for 30 minutes before he was able to talk to, to dial 911 for assistance. He became extremely ill and could not speak without vomiting when questioned by deputies with the Belusa County Sheriff's Office. Transported by EMS local hospital for treatment for raid poisoning. Victim gave police an audio recording of Klein reportedly admitted to spiking his drinks with raid. Investigators also located a 17 and a half counts, uh, can of raid ant and roach spray. Which, according to the reporting, boasts an out boasts of an outdoor fresh scent. I know that's something I always look for when I'm searching for ant spray. Police probe determined that Veronica did, in fact, intentionally introduce a chemical compound into the victim's drink with the intent to kill or injure him. Charged with poisoning, she's being held in the county jail on felony count. She has priors to involve the improper exhibition of a weapon. In both cases, the weapon was a knife. I'm shocked she has priors. 555. 55 KRCD Talk Station. Just shy of 606 at 55KRC, the talk station. Very happy Tuesday to you. Thank God it's no longer Monday. Great day to listen to the morning show. Coming up in an hour in studio, and I can't thank uh, Drew Pappas enough for bringing him in. The return of 96-year-old World War II veteran Frank Wettenkamp. He's got more stories, and we're also going to hear about his long-term friendship with the, well, world-famous, or at least <laughs> tri-state-famous Buddy LaRosa. So uh, Frank Wettenkamp in studio coming up in an hour. Really looking forward to having him back. Just a great guy. 8.05, we get the inside scoop at Breitbart News. Today, firearms expert A.W.R. Hawkins about some shooting. Jacksonville, we got violence in Chicago, uh, and we have a couple of people shot at a White Sox game. What the hell? <laughs> and my friend Ray Matre from Fast and Pro Roofing is going to give you some advice on your roof. That'll be at the Ask the Expert segment coming up at 850. Always enjoy hearing from you. If you have a comment, feel free to, feel free to call 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK, or go pound 550 on at t phones. My friend Maureen, who regularly uh, sends me uh, uh, updates and links and articles, just sent me an article from uh, Florida. Sitgo, the gasoline supplier, uh, has released a whole long list of Florida gas stations, a lot of them in the affected areas of the evacuation or likely affected areas for this uh, this maybe Cat 3 storm. Storm surges maybe as high as 7 to 15 feet. You know, all hell breaking loose. We all know. 
Governor's already ordered people evacuated from certain areas of the state. It's supposed to hit tomorrow at some point, maybe in the general Tampa area. But you got all these Sitgo, uh, uh, these gas stations that receive Sitgo gasoline, 7-Elevens, a whole bunch of 7-Elevens, places called BJ's Wholesale, Handy Foods, Super Day, Bolton One, blah, 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 all over the place. Sarasota, Tampa, Daytona Beach, uh, varieties of areas. The gasoline's contaminated. Any fuel purchased after 10 a.m. Saturday, August 26th at stations supplied by Sitco from the Port Tampa Port of Tampa has a strong likelihood of being contaminated with diesel fuel. This time, Sitco, uh, they, they ultimately released the long list of stations, and there looks like there's about 25 or 30 stations. So you think at the time you need to evacuate, they've got all this contaminated gasoline out there, so it may very well be that your car won't run. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. And Marina, hope your dog's okay. She got a a notice from the uh, kennel where she's keeping her dog saying, you got to get your dogs out of here. We're evacuating the kennel. So prayers to uh, Maureen and anybody else is impacted by the uh, the storm. Now, I, I Dan Horowitz wrote this great op-ed about electric vehicles, and it just cracked me up. And he makes some really wonderful points. And I had this other article, apparently down in uh, Orlando, Florida, they launched this Shuttling with autonomous navigation. They call it the SWAN program. They spent half a million dollars on this SWAN program, which is autonomous vehicles driving, shuttling people around, I guess, the Orlando area or the airport. Bottom line is it was involved two days into its first hitting the operation. It's already gotten involved in an accident. Self-driving electric shuttle. Got into an accident just two days after launching the program. You read about this all the time. So I turned to Daniel Horowitz, who had a couple of observations on this. Electric vehicles should be banned for safety issues. In a free market, any producer should be allowed to produce a product of his choice, and any consumer should be afforded the right to purchase a product of his choice. Amen. But what happens when the government monopolizes the public square and uses subsidies, regulations, and mandates to create an industry of electric vehicles that a free market would never support just on the safety concerns alone? If the left is able to get away with banning the normal vehicles, then shouldn't red states be justified in banning electric vehicles from the highways and garages until the technology improves? New analysis from CBS News shows the number of fires caused by rechargeable batteries in New York City alone surged from 30 in 2019 to 220 last year. Firefighters warning that the lithium-ion battery fires burn longer and hotter than regular car fires and are hard to extinguish extinguish safely. Since 2019, they found 669 incidents between New York City and San Francisco, resulting in hundreds of injuries. And, you know, when you think about these numbers, remember, electric vehicles represent only a tiny, tiny fraction of the total vehicles out on the road. Just we're seeing many sudden deaths in public since 2021. We're also witnessing many sudden vehicle fires on the road or in garages that threaten lives and the integrity of infrastructure. This is occurring with just a tiny percentage of vehicles holding rechargeable batteries. Imagine how we'd live if the left got their wish and converted all cars to electric. According to the CDC, there are over 2 million car crashes a year. If all cars were electric, this is a great point, punctures from crashes could ignite the batteries and lead to thermal runaway, which is a chemical reaction that travels from one cell of the battery to another. The level of heat can lead to the breakdown of chemicals inside the battery and can create flammable gases, heighten the risk of a full-scale explosion. The batteries 
burn at 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. And in a thermal event that doesn't require oxygen to burn. He points out that's why Nickel and Electric Trunk Company just recalled every EV semi-truck it produced because, in the words of Dan Horowitz, they're all ticking rolling bombs. At a time of heightened concern over massive wildfires, why would we place hundreds of thousands of ticking bombs on the roads and in garages with control of 83% of the lithium-ion battery market? The Chinese Communist Party, with the help of their allies and our government, are looking to install them in many other appliances and products besides cars. Government has created this problem with its subsidies and mandates and monopolization of the public square with climate lies. Then it will parachute in to solve the problem it created with a bunch of expensive fire safety programs and more crony infrastructure projects to protect against the ubiquitous infernos the vehicles create in our large cities and densely packed parking garages. Nickel, a company that just suspended the sale of all of its trucks until it, quote, fixes, close quote, the problem with a component of its batteries that all have caused several fires. A coolant leak inside a battery pack was responsible for a massive fire in Phoenix two months ago that destroyed five other trucks parked nearby. But does anyone believe the trucks will come back to the market with the safety concern fixed, given how much our government will subsidize the power losses, power company losses? Then, of course, there's the problem of flooding and hurricanes. We're now seeing EVs catch on fire when submerged imagine a hurricane or flood of nearly every car's an ev and what about the wear and tear and structural safety on highways bridges and particularly parking garages because of the sheer weight of these vehicles according to the uk telegraph the british parking association structures group is working on new recommendations for multi-floor parking garages that will require load bearing for concrete floors to be able to hold three kilotons kilotons per square meter, a 20% increase from the current recommendations. Should we really allow the garages to fill up with these monster bombs before we're forced to spend billions repairing the damage to the infrastructure? These are all issues that are vetted by a free market. But with billions in subsidies for EVs and headwinds thrown at regular vehicles, we have no free market. We have a fascist market. We have a fascist market. Can I repeat that a third time? Goldman Sachs, that's my words, not his. Goldman Sachs estimates the EV industry will get close to $400 billion in subsidies from Biden's Orwellian-named Inflation Reduction Act. That is enough to overcome any initial market losses and safety issues to keep the product unnaturally afloat. That is why, if blue states can ban normal vehicles that we've enjoyed for 120 years, then red states would be justified in banning EVs until companies can prove they have solved these safety issues. Kamala Harris recently said, when we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Perhaps she's on to something about electric vehicles reducing the population. Well stated, Dan Horowitz. And he makes great points. I mean, seriously, these things are unbelievably dangerous in terms of the fires. Have you seen the articles about the 20, like 20,000 gallons of water that they dump on every single vehicle that catches on fire compared to, I think, the fire department average is like 300 to 600 gallons to put on an internal combustion engine fire, you know, gasoline. 
the weight issues that he pointed out, wear and tear on the roads, infrastructure. You park one of these cars in your garage, you run a risk of burning your house down, maybe dying. And apparently Americans are no longer insuring their homes. Got an interesting concept there. If you have an e-vehicle and you don't have homeowner's insurance, fire insurance, um, I would put you in the less than smart category. 616-55 care CD talk station. 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK. Frank Wettenkamp in studio, 96-year-old World War II veteran. His second trip here to the 55KRC Morning Show studios. We'll get a real nice long discussion about his, well, antics in World War II. And he did engage in some antics. He was there uh, long after the war, uh, served to, uh, through a transition period in the area where he was stationed. A really interesting guy, a real fun guy. Thank you, Andrew Pappas, for bringing him in today. Looking forward to that. Uh, let us see here. I, in terms, I was going. I was talking about the EVs and how dangerous they are. And you know, Horowitz making a good point. Well, can't you ban them if they're not safe and they cause all these problems? I'm not necessarily interested in banning them. And his point is a good one. In a free market, we should be allowed to buy what we want. The only problem is people are going after EVs not necessarily because they want them. But uh, I'm not against the the, the, the technology actually because I like I like performance when it when it comes to automobiles among other things. Um, and they are unbelievable. Zero to 60, the torque numbers are insane. You know, some of these vehicles can, can, can zero to 60 or quarter mile, any supercar on the road. I, I watched these uh, uh, drag races where you'll have like some kind of you know, Bugatti Veyron with, you know, a 1,200, 1,300 horsepower engine up against like a Tesla Plaid. And the Tesla Plaid can outrun it in some cases. So pretty wild technology but you know there are massive safety issues and as far as you know autonomous vehicles are concerned i don't want to get in one um i'm not alone on this 63 percent, according to a pew research 63 percent uh said they would not want to ride in an autonomous vehicle like the one in orlando that crashed which happens out in san francisco all the time they've got a bunch of autonomous vehicles out there Anyway, I mentioned uh, the vehicle fires, and I said something, you know, you better have home insurance. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Um, homeowners are apparently increasingly not insuring their homes, which I I, I couldn't live in my house unless it was insured. I mean, I, I own it outright. I mean, accidents happen. We had a neighbor about a decade ago uh, was doing some refinishing. Speaking of car fires, uh, he was doing some refinishing and had um, r- rags that were coated in linseed oil. He was doing some refinishing with linseed oil. Well, you don't put those in a contained surface in a container. That linseed oil will heat up the fabric that it's on, and it will co- it'll combust. That's exactly what happened. His garage caught on fire, burned the whole house to the ground, the whole house. See, that's why I have insurance. But apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal reporting, some are skipping insurance because they can't afford the premiums. National average for home insurance based on a quarter of a million dollar dwelling has increased this year to $1,428. That's up 20% from last year. This is according to figures from Bankrate. Of course, standard insurance policy covers the replacement of the home and some of the contents in the event of damage. Most mortgage lenders require you to have insurance until your home's paid off. A lot of people are choosing not to insure their homes because their home is paid off. Well, what are you going to do if it burns to the ground? You got Do you have the, the replacement costs of your home? Because if you bought your home for a quarter of a million dollars 20 years ago, uh, it's going to cost a hell of a lot more to rebuild it. Building material prices have gone up for those not paying close attention. 
12% of American homes in the United or U.S. homes don't purchase homeowner's insurance. About half of them have annual household incomes of $40,000, according to a 2023 survey by Insurance Information Institute, which is an industry trade group. Compared with about four years ago, the journal purports mortgage lenders are more focused on factoring in higher insurance costs when determining how much of a mortgage your borrower can qualify for, particularly the case in areas experiencing more natural disasters like California and Florida. So they do the number crunching for your pre-approval, right? You should factor income in there. Well, the home's gonna the home cost that you're gonna qualify for is gonna be reduced by the price of the annual insurance policy because you're gonna have to cover that nut as well. I just, you know, I'm thinking like if, if Brian James from Money Monday was on, I think he would probably agree with me. Uh, insure your home. Yes, it can be expensive, but the downside will be catastrophic. 625, 55KR CD Talk Station, Emory. Emory 629, coming up at 630, 55KR CD Talk Station. 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK, Stream the audio and get your iHeartMedia app, and check out the podcast when you can't listen live. So I guess Westside Jim didn't want to talk to me. Huh. Fine, Jim. Go ahead and talk to Joe. Don't talk to me. That's great. Anyhow, over to local stories. Apparently, Central Parkway, they're redesigning it. They're going to unveil the uh, plan today. Uh, described by Patricia Newberry of the Enquirer as the long-envisioned reimagining of Central Parkway moves forward Tuesday. City officials will be unveiling the preliminary design options today at uh, the Department of Transportation and Eng- Engineering, presenting its designs at 5.30 p.m. at TQL statement at an event that is open to you, the public. Described as transforming Central Parkway between Plum and Liberty Streets into, quote, a safe, vibrant, and inclusive urban corridor, close quote, that connects downtown over the right of the West End. That's the press release from the city. Uh, city declined to provide uh, renderings in advance of the event, hasn't yet responded to formal requests for records, so you're going to have to wait till 5.30 tonight. Apparently, it's going to adhere to complete streets principles. That's in quotes, complete streets, which consider the needs of drivers, pedestrians, bicyclists, and public transportation riders all at the same time. Uh, those working on the project, speaking with the Enquirer, um, said the Central Parkway would be narrowed from 106 to 60 feet with expanded medians and sidewalks, more protection for foot and bike traffic, and additional trees and other landscaping. Price tag? At least what supporters said in late 2021, $20 million. They already voted $1 million in for startup funds for the project. City Council did. So uh, this April, U.S. Representative Landsman asked the federal government for $5 million toward the project. Landsman said he secured 3.5 of that $5 million uh, pending approval this fall. So change is coming. I'm surprised that the press release did not have the word equity in it. It's like the first time I've read an article about a public works project that didn't include that. Jesse Maskus was 15 years old and prosecutor said he forced his way into a Paddock Hills apartment, went into a dark bedroom, and started shooting. He fired 12 shots, according to the prosecutors, mortally wounding a 17-year-old, Trevian Spraggs, who was asleep in bed. A one-year-old boy was in the same bed and was wounded. Hmm. Thank you, Kevin Grash of the Enquirer, for your reporting. Assistant Prosecutor Linda Scott said at a hearing yesterday in Hamilton County Juvenile Court, it was like something out of a horror movie, said anybody could have been in that bed. He, his disrespect for human life cannot be rehabilitated in juvenile court. Judge Stacey Graffenreed, 
ruled that Mascus was not amenable to treatment and rehabilitation in the juvenile system. He's now 16, so he's going to be prosecuted in big boy court. That's right. He's going to be in an adult court. Facing charges including aggravated murder, burglary, and felonious assault. Because he's being prosecuted as an adult, that's why his name is actually in the reporting. In July, the judge found that there was enough evidence for Mascus to stand trial as an adult. Yesterday's amenability hearing surrounded whether he could be rehabilitated in the juvenile system before he turns 21. A psychologist said Mascus could not be rehabilitated, according to the judge. Psychologists also found that he's physically, emotionally, and psychologically fit to be transferred. Bradley Fox, representing Mascus, said that the uh, there are, these programs are available in the juvenile system that could help this kid. He noted that Mascus has some mental issues, including attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, conduct disorder, and, quote, cannabis-related disorder, close quote. Claimed he also suffered a lot of childhood trauma, although didn't give any specifics. <sighs> that is so sad. Apparently, jealousy was at play here. Said the spark by jealousy, masks on again, uh, masks on again, off again, girlfriend lived at the apartment, according to the testimony, and uh, Mascus was upset that Spraggs was there with her that night. Prior to the shooting, four months prior, Mascus ran away from a Hillcrest Academy, a juvenile facility, and cut off his electronic monitoring unit. He was wanted by authorities at the time of this shooting. He's going to continue staying at the county youth center. Judge set bond at over $1 million. Wow. And let us see here. Back to the Claremont County Sheriff's Office. They're investigating uh, apparently an alleged affair between a municipal court judge there, Jesse Kramig, and his a 25-year-old administrative assistant. Sheriff's Office got a complaint. What was that, Joe? Did you just do the sound effect? Your fingers slipped? Phrasing. Sheriff's office received a complaint in July about Kramig, who's 42, engaging in sexual activities, what they say is on duty in the closet. That complaint from the assistants, the administrative assistants, husband's aunt. So she's got a husband. And he has a wife, you know. According to Scott Croswell, Kramick's lawyer, the allegations unfounded. We can only uh, what we only cared that this is happening during work hours. She's a very bright girl, but this just seems wrong. So wrong to me that according to Kersker's in-law speaking with Captain Chris Allen in video footage of the interview at the sheriff's office, Kramick appointed the municipal court in 2016. Previously worked the Ohio Attorney General's office as an and as an assistant prosecutor in both Hamilton and Claremont County. He's married and has two kids. Kersker's in-law told Allen that Kramig engaged in sexual activity in the closet, in his chambers, and in a car in the parking lot. She said the two messaged each other via LinkedIn and that Kersker was worried the bailiff was suspicious. She said Kersker received more than $12,000 in raises since she was hired in 2021. An inquiry review of court employee personnel file confirmed this, but also shows another administrative assistant in the court received the same raises on the same dates. The mother-in-law left a voicemail for the court administrator asking another municipal court judge, Jason Nagel, to respond to Kersker's husband before she contacted news organizations. Kersker's hus uh, see, husband thought things were a bit off with his wife, so when he, went, when he left for work in June, late June, he left an old cell phone on 
and recording audio in their home. According to his aunt's account at the sheriff's office, he told his aunt that 10 minutes later, Kersker called her friend and began talking about the affair. Her husband confronted her about it that night. Okay. 637. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. 55 KRC Talk Station. 641. Cut up at 642. 55 KRC Talk Station. And a very, very happy Tuesday to you. World War II veteran Frank Wett in camp and studio after the top of the hour. And uh, AWR Hawkins, Breitbart's uh, firearms expert, coming up at 805. And Ray Matre from Fast and Pro at 850 to give you some uh, advice about keeping your roof, uh, yeah, the longevity of your roof. Tips, important tips for Ask the Expert. Over to the phones we go. West Side Jim, you call back. Happy uh, Tuesday to you. Hi, Brian. Well, I was just telling Joe, seeing Andrew Pappas early in the morning is better than smelling napalm. <laughs> Wait a minute. That line I'm is, going, I, love, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It's the smell of victory. That was the line from the movie. So, and in what way, shape, or form does my seeing Andrew Pappas in the morning relate to that? It's just that you're the luckiest guy in the world to oh, see Andrew. Oh, well, actually, I think the reason I'm lucky is because Frank Wettenkamp is going to be in the studio. Drew just happens to be his chauffeur. Exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping he drove because, you know, you wouldn't have to get up at 4 o'clock to drive two blocks with Andrew. Well, that is true. He does like to go slow. Um, by the way, real quick, before I tell you this story, Officer Terry McGuffey, remember who almost got his eyes gouged out? Yeah. He's back to work as of yesterday. I just saw that post <laughs> on Support the Blue in Cincinnati on Facebook. That's wonderful, wonderful news. Welcome back and best of health. Okay, real quick. I'm going to have to talk fast on this because I know you'll cut me off. But Saturday, I'm driving. And, of course, you're you're not supposed to look at your phone while you're driving. And I get an email from Russell Mock. And it's got his picture on it. And it's it says very professionally um, you've done a great job for the party. Uh, since you're running one of these clubs, I want you to do this for me as a favor because I'm in a meeting and I can't talk. So don't call me. You have to email me right there. Boom. Red flag. So this person asked me to go <clears throat> into this site that he sent me. It's an email. He set up, this is why I'm telling people, he set up a separate email with Russell's picture on it. And it said, Russell mock with a bunch of numbers. Ten, um, two hundred dollar gift cards, basically from Target or American Express. I oh, know where I'm going with this, and he will personally email their accounts. And now he's great because he said you can keep one for doing this. So right away, and the grammar, the grammar was a little bit rough. Yeah, no periods, commas, and stuff like that. Um, so I started playing with this guy for a full day, just going back and forth. And actually, I told him that I went and bought cards, and how do I get them to him and all this? And he said, well, you weren't supposed to go get physical cards. Long story short about this whole thing, it wasn't just me and the party that got this. He was trying, he or she, was trying to get other people, from what I hear, um, on a limited basis. But it was sounded so professional. If you've never been hit, now this is a scam. This is an identity theft. Right. This is so not something you, Russell Mock did. This is something someone, they, they in essence, are stealing his identity within the email in order to get you to do something stupid, like go out and get gift cards. And this has been reported to the authorities, yada, yada, yada. Good. Um, so I tried to call Russell and Triffin, and they were both wanting the voicemail because of 
prior engagements. So, and I won't tell you about Russell's because it, it, his man card would go away. But anyway, at the end of the conversation, he uh, he threatened me. He said, "I am going to kill you." Oh, really? Yeah. So I told him, I said, that's great that you just threatened me because the FBI has been informed and this just adds to the post of having them hurry up and do this. Oh, yeah. I didn't tell them about my um, my Second Amendment rights. So (laughs) I just wanted to let people know. And there are other people in this party. They they will probably be too embarrassed if they went out and bought 10 two hundred dollar cards. And, and did this. And you don't get the cards, physical cards. You actually go into this account. It's so professionally done, Brian. If the grammar would have been correct and I couldn't have got a hold of somebody, I might have done this. You never know. Well, I wouldn't have done it because it was too many red flags. But other people would have because they've never been involved in something like this. Well, ask yourself a I'm simple question. Wondering. What 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 appropriate, true campaign fundraising effort would involve anything to do with Target gift cards? Well, that's that's the other red flag. Well, it it's a huge red flag. That's red flag. that's like the giant, biggest, most giant red flag in the world. It's like the I, you know, this is the IRS. You know, you have an outstanding tax liability of so and so. Go get me an Apple iTunes card or some nonsense like that. The connection is this, 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 this card thing. That's not how people do business. Well, we've got an office manager, and if he asked anybody, he would have asked her to do this. And I even asked this person that, and they said that, oh, here we go, that I've done such a fabulous job helping the party and all this, that they wanted me to get the credit for it after it was done. Holy cow. Well, they certainly well, have. This guy really researched. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They certainly have your number in the sense that they really know who you are. You're head of the Republican Party on that side. They're reaching out to you and specifically citing your accomplishments. That's a creepy part of it. That's why that death threat, that's why that death threat is to be taken seriously, because if he knows who you are really and has all this factual information out about you, it's certainly easy enough to figure out where you live, HamiltonCountyAuditor.org. Exactly. Or com or whatever. I take take it serious. I still think it was a foreign country kind of a thing, and they just did that um, just for the hell of it. Excuse my language. But, you know, like I said, my Second Amendment rights are are well um, out there. It says it's getting colder. You can cover that up with a uh, a nice shirt. Yeah, or you can open carry if you want, Jim. That's entirely yeah, up to you. I don't want to look like a gunslinger. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I understand that. That's the way I am. Well, I, I certainly appreciate it. My, my listeners certainly appreciate it, too, because if they're doing it over there in connection with Russell Mock's campaign, then they're going to do it everywhere in connection with anybody's campaign. And there isn't a day that goes by, uh, Jim, that I don't get a solicitation on my phone or my email Along the same lines, but like all things, I just delete it. You know what? If I want to donate to a party, I know how to do that. I don't need a solicitation. There's no damn bit of solicitation in the world that's going to get me to donate. I'm going to make that mind, my mind up along those lines, absent, sans, emails, or text communication. So don't waste your time sending it to me. It's going to be deleted, period, end of story, even if it's remotely suspicious looking. It's going to be deleted. And Brian, I agree with you. 100%. But since it came from Russell Mock, that's why I opened it up. Oh, I know, because you deal with him and others in the party. I get that. I, and I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experience with the listening audience because not everybody is jaded as and cynical as I am. And, of course, not as astute as you are and flagging it as, uh, you know, fishing or whatever you call that. Theft, basically. I appreciate it, Jim. Exactly. Hang in there, brother. 
649 55KRC, the talk station. Ah, Peter Shabri. Coming up on 655, 55KRC, the talk station. We'll spend some traffic and weather because uh, out of time, but more importantly, at the door, waiting to be let in. Andrew Pappas, who is accompanied by Frank Wettenkamp, who's our guest for the 7 o'clock hour, World War II veteran, 96 years old. We've talked to him before. One hell of a great guy. He's uh, got lots of stories and also a longtime friend of uh, the the world-famous Buddy LaRosa. So we're going to get some stories and uh, share some love with Frank Wettenkamp after the top of the hour news. I hope you can stick around. It's 7.06 here at Big Care CD Talk Station. A very happy Tuesday to you. Um, bubble burst a little bit. Andrew Pappas is here, and he was not bringing Frank Wettenkamp in himself. He was just showing up separately. Frank's supposed to be driving himself in. No word from Frank Wettenkamp, our 96-year-old World War II veteran friend. We're going to get some stories from him. He's been on the program before. He's a hell of a great guy. Now I'm worried. So uh, apologies for Frank not being here, but more concerned because Frank isn't answering his phone and uh, Drew is here and he's busily trying to get a hold of him. If you're next door neighbors of Frank, why don't you go knock on his door for me, please? Um, just praying. I'm now praying for the man. I'm, I'm hoping everything is okay and it's just maybe he overslept or forgot about it. But uh, Drew Pappas did speak with him yesterday. He was excited about coming in. So maybe, you know, all is not lost. It could be that he pops in. Uh, you can feel free to call 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK, or go with pound 550 on AT&T phones. Um, and since Frank is a World War II veteran, I, I hate to have to bring this up, but I just saw this just alarming, alarming study. And we've talked so many times about veteran suicide on the program. We had the veterans groups in, you know, Claremont County Veterans Service, the Butler County Veterans Services. I've had people from the VA on, Todd Sledge, et cetera. Suicide rates among veterans is just too damn high. And suicide rate across the nation is climbing up, but not to the rate of uh, post-9-11 veterans. Saw a reporting by uh, Newsmax Steve Reinberg. Suicide uh, becoming an urgent issue uh, among American family military veterans with a rate increasing by more than 10 times over two decades. Suicide rates for post-9-11 veterans have steadily increased over the past 15 years at a much faster pace than the total U.S. population. And post-9-11 veterans, here's where the real problem lies. Post-9-11 veterans with TBI, which is traumatic brain injuries, are significantly higher suicide rates than veterans without the traumatic brain injury. The study led by uh, researcher Jeffrey Howard from the Department of Public Health at the University of Texas, San Antonio. So suicide rate for those with TBI, 56% higher than veterans who did not suffer from a traumatic brain injury. They also say that the, the uh, TBI in, uh, folks uh, also have a much higher alcohol abuse rate. And I, sus- I mean, as we've learned over the years, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, generally speaking, is a form of self-medication. So if you're already struggling psychologically, many, many, many people turn to alcohol and drugs uh, in an effort to sort of resolve those things. All we know, there's no resolution there. It just tends to compound things. Anyway, investigators found that between 2006 and 2020, suicide rates among veterans who suffered a TBI increased by 15% a year. Compared with 14% per year increase among veterans without a TBI and a 1% per year increase among the general population. So those figures are where you really see the distinction between veteran suicides 
and the general population. Specifically in terms of rates per 100,000 people between 2019-2020, it increased among per 100,000 from 80 to 90 for veterans with a traumatic brain injury and from 50 to 57 for veterans without a TBI. That figure did not change among the general population, though. That is 90 people per 100,000. That is just... Anyhow, as a consequence of TBI, according to the Boston University School of Public Health, you're more likely to develop a mental health disorder, struggle with addiction or substance disorder. Veterans are high risk in general for substance use disorder, she said. If you add on exposure to TBI, veterans are at even higher risk. So it's sort of a combination of exposures that I think are coming together for people in this population. That, again, from Rachel Adams, who's the uh, research associate at Boston University. Uh, there's help out there, folks. They got the Veterans Crisis Line. You have these veteran services. I mentioned the Butler County Veteran Services, Claremont County Veteran Services, the Cincinnati VA you can find online. Lots and lots and lots of places for veterans to turn in order to get some assistance. And don't shy away from it. Yeah, that's Another thing that I've learned over the years talking with veterans and veterans organizations, you guys are a rugged, tough, individualistic group of people. And you don't you don't complain and you don't have to have someone tell you like they told me yesterday, you know, suck it up, buttercup. But internalizing the psychological issues you're having isn't going to do you any good. You really need to reach out and have some discussions, maybe with just with fellow veterans. Um, we've I've had any number of organizations on talking about just veterans getting together with other veterans and sitting down and having a conversation about your, you know, the 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 things that are going through your head. It's 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 great for you. That's like anybody else sitting down having a conversation with a good friend. You know, sometimes you can resolve some of life's problems just by talking about it out loud rather than internalizing it. So I hate to bring the bad news up, particularly since we're we're hoping to have Frank Wettenkamp in studio. But there you have it. Um, let us turn to. Oh yeah, I. Joe and I are going back and forth. You hear the top of the hour news that, about the hurricane. I'm, you know, I'm concerned about the folks on, on Florida's what is that West Coast, the Gulf side. Hurricane is building. They say it could be a Cat three by the time it makes landfall somewhere in the general vicinity of Tampa. Uh, but this is somehow unique, or oh my God, this never happens. Every single weather event, I've had it up to my eyeballs with this. Oh my God, it's hot out, global warming. Oh my God, this hurricane. It's God, it's because it's because of us. It's carbon. No, it's not. Golly. Just get over it. I, I, I don't understand why we all have to gravitate and immediately conclude that any single weather event, any of them, has something to do with global warming. I mean, you got this ridiculous story out of Hawaii, and I feel terrible for the people that, I mean, obviously, loss of life is nothing to sneeze at. But winds coupled with fire create a much more hazardous condition than a simple fire. We all know that. It's exactly what happened. And every damn politician on the planet seems to have been accusing this fire. It has something to do with global warming when, no, it's been farming practices. It's been fair to clean up kindling yes there's dry conditions on the west side of maui dry conditions on the west side of most of the islands out there then you have the the the, them blaming hawaiian electric which was kind of funny because hawaiian electric to its defense after that lawsuit was filed by maui maui county sues hawaiian electric claiming it was their fault that the fire started because they didn't turn the power off ah but the details have emerged 
Turns out there were two fires. The first one, the fire department put out 100%. It was extinguished. That one happened at 6.30 in the morning. They call it the morning fire. No problem there. And, yes, the morning fire was caused by a downed power line. In fact, Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian Electric went over and fixed that line. But the interesting thing is that fire, the morning fire described by the Maui County Fire Department is 100% contained. It was dis- extinguished. All of the power had been shut down to the area. Hawaiian Power did exactly what they were claiming in the lawsuit they didn't do. They shut it all down. And that power was out for six hours before what they call the afternoon fire was discovered. It was in the same general area, but it wasn't the same fire as the morning fire. So some way, shape, or form, another fire popped up in the area. That is the one the fire department wasn't able to get to quickly enough because the high winds had caused it to spread, and it was completely out of control by the time they had they engaged in a response. But the power was off, so it was... It was Hawaiian, Hawaiian Power in the legal proceedings. It was a legal proceeding version of, oh, yeah, well, I got, I got two words for you, and it ain't happy, and it ain't happy birthday. It was kind of an interesting um, re- reaction in the uh, pre-market trading on Hawaiian Energy stock, which apparently fell through the toilet after they were accused of causing this, this entire conflagration. Um, it surged 43% after their legal response was filed. So... Don't believe everything you read in an initial filing, I suppose. 715, 55KRC, the talk station. Bobby's on the phone. Bobby, you have to hang on for a second. It's talk station. 720 here, 55KRC, the talk station. Hope you're having a happy Tuesday. Drew Papp is still on the waiting room. Waiting word from uh, Frank Wettenkamp, who's supposed to be in studio with us for this hour. And now we're all very concerned. So, again, if you're a neighbor of Frank's, but you head on over there, maybe call the station and let me know one way or the other. Uh, Drew's anxiously awaiting his call for an update. So um, I'm just thoughts and prayers to, uh, to to Frank. I'm just hoping nothing is wrong. Over to the phones I go, 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK. Bobby was kind enough to hold over the break. Welcome back, Bobby. It's always good hearing your voice. Happy Tuesday, my brother. Right back at you. Hey, I got something I need to change the subject about, and I hope you don't hit the dump on me. <laughs> Just don't, do just don't drop an F-bomb or, or violate the FCC <laughs> rules. I'll have no reason for that, my friend. I, I don't know. I mean, you may. You may. I don't know. Number, this, is a, this is a true thing, and I'm a good handicapper. You all, you and Joe, are number one under the dome, okay? You're number one in the small camp area in the country. Number one, you and Joe, a single crew running a four-hour segment touching everybody in the country. Under the demographics and everything, you're number one, the market you're trying to reach. The only thing is one word, syndication. Oh, wow. I don't know, Bobby. Is there a demand for a syndicated Brian Thomas 55-carousy morning show, Bobby? I don't know. I tell you what, my brother, you touch all the segments, faith, flag, family, and freedom. Freedom. That's it. And You'd be surprised how many... I, Be surprised. I I truly appreciate the, those kind words and and from where they come. I'm a very self deprecating guy, Bobby. So when I hear that, I'll be the first person in the room to kind of maybe raise objections to that as a concept. I don't know how I would go about doing that. I currently have a currently 
currently operative word. I have a contract, um, which is over at the end of this year. And, um, I have expectations of being around longer than that, but God knows, you know, the, the world is a strange place and strange things can happen. But, uh, you know, the other concern Bobby is, and this is a, I say this absolutely. I grew up, you know, I was Jerry's kid, right? I, it's like, I didn't have a name. It was like, you know, I used to make a, a jokes about having muscular dystrophy because I was one of Jerry's, I was Jerry's kid. I know what it's like to grow up and having your dad known everywhere, everywhere we used to go around because dad was on television. Dad was on radio for 47 years before he finally retired and growing up. Hey, Jerry, Jerry, you'd be at the supermarket. Be there. Hey, Jerry, Jerry, how you doing? So when I was asked to do this job, my dad said, I'm retiring, I'm retiring, I'm retiring. And my dad counseled me not to take the job. It was for different reasons. It was corporate reasons in dad's mind. But he said, you're a successful lawyer. Nobody's asking you to leave your job. Why would you give that up and go work for these guys? Basically his words, not mine. And so I listened to that. But the biggest problem for me and the biggest concern for me was exactly that everywhere you go, you're maybe somebody's going to know you, you lose your anonymity and there's something beautiful about anonymity. A lot of people think, Oh my God, I'd love to be a movie star. I'd love to be in. No, 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 no. Can you imagine the living hell it would be to be a guy? And I've used Tom Cruise as an example, but pick your favorite Hollywood actor. You can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. And remain anonymous. You can't go to a dinner, people coming up to you and all that. And to me, that was like one of those, that was a negative associated with taking the job. Obviously, you know, I've done it. This is my 17th year in radio. I don't have any problems with people ever. When people come up and say they listen to me, I am so blessed. I feel blessed and pleased to get the compliment. It doesn't irk me when someone recognizes me in public. But that whole, you know fame component just always has rubbed me the wrong way and it's not you don't have any it's not disrespect at all it's not lack of appreciation well, at all it's just you know you, you, the bigger the spotlight it, the bigger the problems that can land in your lap that's just kind of the concern i have along those lines it's not local it's national yeah you're under the dome you find a small market cap area that has an individual like you and Joe that handles a four-hour segment with everything you do. Yeah. They don't exist. You're right. You're number one under the dome, and that's a fact. Well, I appreciate it. In terms of talking about if politics. If you can find the- anyone that's better, there is no better. <laughs> I've already researched it for the last year and a half. I know. Bobby, you're just you're a good man. You're a good – you know, you put a smile thank on my face this morning. I can't thank you enough, and I just – I truly, 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 truly appreciate it. I really do. God bless you, Bobby. 725 Mississippi James hang on a second if you don't mind is he here is Frank here oh Frank is here wonderful maybe you want to get Mississippi's calling real quick Joe can we do that real quick Mississippi James uh, Frank Wettenkamp did just show up so we're going to be hearing from him next but go ahead and and, uh, real quickly offer your comments my friend okay I just wanted to talk about the little hiccup you had yesterday Oh, and a yeah. lot of suggestions came in for what you to do to do to, about it. Well, most people that noticed they didn't determine, and you have to determine that. Was it your mind, body, or soul that you was dealing with yesterday? That was a little, <laughs> that little hiccup. It definitely was mine. It could have been body for lack of sleep, and I will do some searching of my own soul to see if there's any connection with my soul on that. 
But you're right. I mean, introspection is the key to working out one's issues. And yes, yesterday I was feeling really blue for whatever reason. I don't know why. Could have been that I, I had lost an hour's sleep the night before. It could have been that maybe we had a little too much to imbibe on Saturday night with friends over the weekend. But I felt fine on Sunday. I don't know. But I and in, in all that time on radio, Mississippi James, I never, ever out loud said that I was feeling that way. And I actually regret even saying it out loud because, listen, you know what? The world's filled with problems, and my problems don't amount to jack squat compared to so many other people. So I took up time on the morning show that I really shouldn't have, but I certainly appreciate the outreach of people who were like offering me suggestions. And Mississippi James, I appreciate you following up. Feeling a whole lot better today. Nothing like a great night's sleep. From 55 KRC, the talk station. 731, 55 KRC, the talk station. He <laughs> is fine, alive, well, in studio with a big smile on his face. Frank Wettenkamp, our favorite World War II veteran, 96 years young. Got stuck in traffic. Frank, it's great having you back inside in the studio. Glad to be here, really. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're glad to be it, here. It's fun to talk to you. Well, yeah. and you know, the last time you were here, and you know, it's just an amazing thing to be able to speak with a World War II veteran because you know you're in rarefied air anymore. Hate to state the obvious. Yeah, but, they're dying every uh, uh, yeah. seven, seven, I think 700 every week. And soon, we all know, because yeah. like Drew yeah. said in the hallway, every, every we're all going to die someday. That's just yeah. the fact, Jack. Uh, yeah. Death and taxes is something we can't get away from. But <laughs> not to, I don't want to belabor that point. But we talked all about your time in, uh, in the service in World War II, how you, you know, how you enlisted, how you ended up there. And I uh, wanted to get a little bit of maybe background from you about you know, your childhood here in Cincinnati. What, okay, remind my listeners, what year did you enlist uh, 44. 44, so toward the end of the conflict. And you stayed around a, 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 nine months. Nine months after. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, that you were you were there kind of as a sort of a stabilizing force between the various communist and other warring factions yeah. post-World War II all, era. All the guerrillas. Yeah, the guerrilla fighters. What island is this? Huh? What island? Philippines. Yeah, oh, this is the Philippines. Subic Gen- Bay. Subic Bay. Okay. Big bag in the Philippines, yeah. Yeah, and and that was an element of, you know, the World War II era. I had no idea that there was guerrilla fighting going on after the war ended. Well, uh, the, the the guy that became the leader, president per se, was DeMarco, whose wife was the famous Three Thousand Shoes. Oh, Imelda Marcos. Imelda Marco. I remember her. And uh, well, the other guerrillas. Okay, that were in there, did not like him. And they were the communists. Well, they had the communists and the and and the Philippine uh, guerrillas. Okay, see his his outfit was different than the guy that I knew. That was in, in the village. He was the mayor of the village. He also was a captain in the Philippine guerrillas, and uh, he did not like the market. Okay, so Marco's bad, communists, and then non-communist guerrillas as well, all vying for mm-hmm. power and yeah, control right. of the Philippines. Yeah. Now, it's it's kind of funny. i got to make a joke. Yeah. Um, it, if the CIA had gotten involved back then, maybe the Philippines would have gone communist like, <laughs> like Castro <laughs> yeah, and Cuba, so. right? If the CIA took over, you, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it, it was, you know, I didn't realize it until the, the the mayor 
of the village put me onto it. Oh, oh, okay. See, he says you you're a, you're a force that's going to keep them from coming down. And eventually, when I left and left, I uh, gave my uh, uh, home address to his nephew, and we correspond. And uh, his last message was. Uh, the, he, they call them the Hucks. The Hucks are coming down to take over the village, and we're all moving to Manila. No kidding. And and that was the last I heard. I never got back. I wanted to go back. I made a lot of trips in Asia with, yeah. you know, on cruise ships and that, but I, I just never got a chance to go to the Philippines. Oh, that's a shame you didn't yeah. get to do that. Do you never know what happened to that guy? He was... Um, the mayor was kidnapped, they said, by the communists. Oh. Okay. Now, that's, that's Rudy, the rest nephew's take on it. My take is talking to him for nine months, staying in his hut, you know, and that yeah. he was a nationalist. Yeah. And he did not, like I say, I think he went up there because he didn't think the communists were really communists. They were nationalists. They became communists because the Americans would not pick them up. Right. See, if the Americans would have gave them the supplies that they wanted, okay, Yeah. again, you know, like Fidel Sounds Castro. Sounds like Cuba, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, the, he would have, uh, He. you know, they would have, been the uh, it wouldn't have been Hux. Yeah, they could have been somebody else. Could have been and somebody else. It's an interesting. Well, know. we're going to learn a little bit about early Cincinnati history. Um, I found out this morning Frank uh, has some boxing experience, and I asked him um, how he became a boxer, and a couple of interesting responses. We're going to get the a uh, little about that, and he grew up with and has known Buddy Larosa since he said Buddy was a was a a, a, a little kid. Now, I'm 57, going to be 58 years old in three weeks, Frank, and uh, mm -hmm. Buddy LaRosa has never been a little kid. All right, so no, hold yeah, on a second. Yeah, that's true. Take, well, he's 93. Yeah, he is. Yeah. 93 years young. Hold on yeah. a second. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back with World War II veteran Frank Wettenkamp. 741, 55-care CD talk station. Frank Wettenkamp, our 96-year-old World War II veteran friend, in studio with more stories and uh, wanted to learn... We are talking off air about what it was like, you know, pre-war here in Cincinnati. Like, for example, you've seen it all, 96 years worth. There was a different, let's just say, work ethic going on yeah. at that time. Tell my listeners about what you used to do, your jobs, uh, how you would make money as a young person, and you did. So give my, give my listeners a little bit well, of... Well, you know, it so happened in 26 was uh, just before the Depression hit. So I was born in the era of going through the Depression, uh, going through organized crime, probation came in, you know. Yeah. So uh, I, in seeing all of that, you know, um, my dad, like he had at that time had six kids and they cut him back to three days. Everything, guys were committing suicide, lost everything. 
later on in life, working working at my job, I met a vice president of Gibson Cards. Yeah. And she, uh, her husband committed suicide. He was a stockbroker on, you know. Wow. So it was it was a tough time to be, you know. Yeah, I read an article just yesterday before. One out of every three Americans had no job. That's right. One third of the entire population was Absolutely. out of work. Absolutely, they had they had guys in suits selling apples, and you know it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, my dad was cut back to three weeks. I mean, three days and a week, and uh, so he. Being a boxer, had some connections, and he made uh, bathtub gin. No kidding. Yeah, and sold it, you know. And if you wanted whiskey, you put in a little uh, iodine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, you know. and it, Well, this, didn't they repurpose? Wasn't it like wood alcohol or something if yeah. you, you cooked it longer? What, you know, what they did with the wood alcohol is they had a loaf of bread, okay, a whole loaf, and they'd cut off the edge. Okay, that had the crust. Right. Then they pour the wood alcohol through that bread to take out the taste in that. See? But not the toxicity. No. You're not supposed to drink that kind of alcohol. There's methanol, there's ethanol, different types, and the body processes we differently. We can tell the ones that drank it because they end up what we call Jake legs. Their, their nerves in their legs would flutter. Like no when they walk, we call them Jake legs. You kids, you know, had names for everything, you know. But I was thinking the other day, you know, when I look back on it, you know, there was no refrigerator. They had uh, uh, ice boxes if you were, you know. Yeah. And they had window boxes, you know. Yeah. You open the window, and then you put your stuff in this box that hung out, and, you know, and it kept it about 52. Uh, out in the farm, you had a spring house. Right. They would find, and they kept it 50. And they a root would, cellar. Yeah, a root cellar, yeah. same thing. I married a farm girl. They had a spring sure. house and a root cellar. <laughs> yeah, well, they all had to have it to keep their vegetables a little, you know. Well, real quick here, what were the politics I mean, did you have any sense of politics back then when you were a young man? And oh, we had the best. We had the best president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR. Absolutely. Give him a lot of credit. I'll tell you what he did. After the depression made the country, nobody wanted to invest anymore, so the market was almost dead. Right. See, so he started National Recovery Act (NRA). And what they did, they had the three C's for kids that were like 17, 18 years old. To yeah, go my grandfather out. was in the CCC. Okay, yeah. And they had the WPA and the uh, uh, Wooster Pike and the Wall and Elm and uh, Elbron and the Wall and the Parks. All that was made by WPA, $12 a week. Okay. Do you remember the phrase, we piddle around, the folks that were against WPA projects? I remember that being a slogan. It was a slogan. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But there, So there was a there was a way of, of a battle, ideological battle on, on the propriety of that type of program. You sound exactly like my late grandfather. He said, I 
he was a lifelong Democrat because FDR, he said, FDR gave me a job. Brian, we were starving. We had yeah, no money. Absolutely. They, I, I remember the story that he told me. They pulled us a, a sea turtle out of the ocean and ate that because they had no food. Absolutely. They go, they turn into hunters. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, we lose sight of all of that. And, and we think, and this is the problem I say, I think we face today. We've had it so good for so long. We fail to appreciate what we've got. And hearing stories like that from a guy yeah. like you, it kind of brings it back into focus. It was so bad back then. We'll pause. We've got one more segment with Good. the great, amazing Frank Wettenkamp. I got a 750 Care CD talk station. Wish we had four hours with the man, Frank Wettenkamp in studio. 96 years young, World War II veteran. We're talking about what it was like in the Great Depression era. And uh, you had an interesting t- story to tell about how the, the, the community, local community, Help support each other during those unbelievably horrific times, Great Depression. Tell my listeners that how you explained how these businesses stayed alive and how everybody in the community was able to benefit, even in spite of the terrible financial yeah, conditions. Well, like I say, they lived off the flow of the money. You know, some money would be coming in to pay off their tab, but they put all the people that they knew in the area on a tab. So a grocery store. You come yeah. in and I don't have any money. My husband's been laid off or I got laid off. That's okay, Frank. Put uh, it down. Put it down, you know, and pay me when you get it. That was the way it went. And so all the businesses would do this? All the businesses. White Villa, um, Nadler's Drugstore. I can ma- mention them, you know, Begley's Meats, you know, Pennington Bread. They, they all did this. And as kids, you know, we go in and get a candy, you know, that's okay, put it down on the tab, you know. But uh, it was uh, a big, big, big boost. Oh, and the honor system was alive and well. Absolutely. They trusted people enough that they would actually come back later when they got money, when they got employment, and pay down the tab. And that's what happened. Yeah. We had a missionary come from Britain named Captain Hall, okay. He was an orphan. And he, the 37 flood come in, okay, and he started Camp Joy, okay, which is still going 90th year right now. How about that? Yeah, and they and I was the first kid to go to Camp Joy. No way! <laughs> so uh, I was telling Andy, these two women are going to take me to lunch, but they they are managers of Camp Joy, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I've been, you know, my kids set up an endowment in my name so that the kids could go to Camp Joy. That's great. Of, you know. Well, I tell you, I got it. We're still talking about your childhood. Of course, Camp Joy's great story as well. You used to work for literally pennies. You did pennies. a whole bunch of different things, but you would be paid pennies. We used to go down the alley and pick up the bottles and and sell broken glass. Or we would uh, get kindling wood. A lot of breweries, you know, had gone out of business, Felsen Brown, Moorline, and we would go down into the cellar where they had the barrels and uh, get the barrels out and chop them up and sell uh, kindling wood, a basket for 15 cents. And, you know, we'd walk around with our basket in a, in, a, in, a, in a wagon. And 
we did anything. Uh, I had a steady job when I was 11 years old. My so, dad wanted me to quit school at 16 so that I can make money and help the family. Help support the family. When I got out of the service, I'll tell you how the, the, the men of that time, they ruled the roost, but mama, of course she had the weapon, but the mama in, in the kitchen, that was it, you know. Oh, yeah. As kids, you did not be in the company of growing up talking. That was taboo. You were not Children allowed shall be seen to, and not heard. not allowed to hear what the grown-ups were saying. You know, you were shied away from it. You know, it, uh, it was a different life. It was it's... very simple. You know, you didn't have a lot of pressure. You knew exactly what you had to do, the chores and everything was all laid out for you, you know. And I, I did allude to the fact earlier in the program, and I had to follow up because we're almost out of time. You're a boxer. You're, you said your dad was a, a boxer, yeah. pro boxer. You learned how to fight from him, but I said, no, not no, from not him. from him. Right? I was, I was asking. I said, were you a boxer too? And you nodded and you said, yeah. I said, how'd you get into that? And I said, your dad? You, no. Tell, tell my listeners how you became a boxer. Well, I, you know, you had eight, eight brothers. Eight you brothers. Know. <laughs> we. We fought for the last pork job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? So, you know, but yeah, uh, the funny thing is when I went in the service, I didn't realize it, and they ask you questions. You know, they have this psychological thing as you go in, and uh, what did you do in sports? Mm -hmm. I must have said something. I boxed. I played ball and I football and baseball. You know, Shorty Normar, who was a legend in Cincinnati, had organized knothole ball for Cincinnati. He organized that, Shorty did, and he, start, he started a league in, in 1938. So, you know, and, and I was part of that. But, you know, uh, so I was, I was in boot camp, and I was told to go to happy hour. And if I went there, they would, uh, you didn't have to go to KP. I'm for that. When I get down there, I find out I got a box. <laughs> so I went to the ring, but they gave me a kid that should have not been in the ring. And, you know, everything is automatic. You get so you you see an opening, you throw a punch. Sure. And I knocked him down, and, you know, and I felt sorry, and I reached down and picked him up. Just... You know, it was a reflex sure. for me. I didn't want to hurt him. And I said to him, uh, I forget his name, Mar Marvin or something. I said, protect yourself. You know, I don't want to hit you, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it opened again, and I, you know, the right hand came out, knocked him down, I picked him up. When we walked out of the ring together, okay, uh, they all stood up and clapped. Oh, that's great. That is great. I never forgot. That. You know what? Couple stories that you yeah. told. It was a different time back then. Absolutely. Community spirit, caring for each other, looking yeah. out for each other, yeah. beating the tar out of each other in the ring, and walking out with a smile on your face. Yeah. And you made a friend that day, Frank Wettenkamp. It has been such a joy having you in the studio again. I wish we had more time to talk. FKRC, the talk station. 806 here at 55KRC, the talk station. A very, very happy Tuesday to you. 
What a great guy, Frank Wettenkamp. Wonderful having him in studio. We'll try to get him back again real soon. No more. There's very few opportunities to speak with a World War II veteran. He has such, you know, clarity and insight and such a great recollection of facts. And there's nobody that knows more about firearms than my next guest. It is time for the Inside Scoop with Breitbart News. Welcome back, AWR Hawkins, my friend. It's always great having you on my program. Great to be with you. Bookmark it, folks. B-R-E-I-T-B-A-R-T dot com. You'd be glad you did. You get to read, read about a, what A.W.R. Hawkins writes about. Let's start with Jacksonville. Uh, right after the Jacksonville f- shooting, these this crazed gunman described as a far right-wing extremist uh, says he, he hated black people. He was motivated by, by race. And immediately parallels were brought to the, uh, the, 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 the other shooting involving the trans activists in Nashville. And a lot of claims that where the hell is the manifesto? Where's the manifesto? We were all told there was a manifesto. And we know a lot about this guy in Jacksonville, but we still don't know anything or really not much about the one from uh, Nashville. So what's your take on generally this, A.W.R. Hawkins? Well, generally, uh, (laughs) you've got a guy that fits the template here because every time you have a shooting – the left, they're very eager. They rub their little sweaty palms together, you know, how, how they do in front of their face. And they're just so eager to find out that this is either A, a Trump supporter, or at least B, that it is a white person who uh, has said something racial or or whatever. I mean, this guy clearly had racial motivation. I'm not questioning that. No but doubt. What I mean is he fits the template perfectly. So all we know everything. I mean, we know what was within a couple of hours. We knew what they found this in his manifesto. They found that. But see, it does it does not fit the template to talk about the dangers of the transgender push, to talk about the dangers of uh, no that there's no difference in gender, or that there are four thousand genders, or whatever. There's no that's that's unallowable. So we we still don't have the twenty seven year old transgenders. Uh, manifestos yet, as you point out, but we know just about everything about this guy, and and it's it's the same, it's the same thing we see week after week, where you don't hear a peep about Chicago because to talk about Chicago is to talk about the weakness of gun control, so you can't do that. But if you have uh, a shooting where just a few people are hurt here or here, it makes headline news because that can be used to undercut gun rights somewhere. And, and that's what you have here. Plus, you have the added deal that, as we talk about the racial deal, this guy had a this guy was a pronounced racist, uh, according to the sheriff, you know. And uh, so it 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 literally clicks every box for the left yeah. to be consumed with this. Well, there's no question about that. And then the big elephant in the room is always the fact that guns don't get up off the table on their own and start shooting people. It's the bat crap insane person who uses one to commit violent acts. And that's the, they try to, to, to leverage that into the idea that you know law-abiding gun owners like you and I should have our guns taken away from us, which is just nonsense. I, you know, I'm, right. We could talk about that till we're blue in the face. Crazy people, insane people, people who are filled with hate are going to commit a crime against another person if that's what they're motivated to do. They'll just use whatever means available to them. Right. Well, and that's the thing, you know, uh, four days prior to this, there was a shooting in California where three people were killed. Uh, and the shooting in California was actually bigger in as far as numbers because three were killed and six were injured. You didn't, I, unless you read what I write at Breitbart, you probably didn't even hear about that. True. 
And the, re- the reason is that has to be suppressed because that reveals the danger of gun control and, ha- and how it puts people in a weakened state. They can't protect themselves. So that couldn't be reported. But you had that shooting in California. It simply brushed over, simply brushed over so that they can go to this shooting. And then you have Rep. Eric Swalwell coming out. Now it's time to buy back all AR-15s, all assault weapons, all yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, and what these loons miss on the left is this guy was carrying two guns. You take one of them away, he still has a gun. <laughs> yes. you, you can't use a ban. But, I mean, it's, just, I, I, it's frustrating. These people on the left, even at the highest office, they are so ignorant it's unbelievable well and you know it, it's one of those questions i always ask out loud are they nefarious or stupid or is it a combination of both and i think this is a combination of both i think they're nefarious in the sense that they want to take away our right to keep and bear arms for maybe their own ultimate goals because they don't want an armed populace that's dangerous to their power but then stupid in the sense that i you know i had a guest on last week one of the owners of a, a gun shop here locally 22.3 firearms Jeff Monroe, he wrote a whole book on the aftermath of the Brady Bill, and he pointed out, statistically proven, that it just changed the type of firearm that criminals would use. It had no impact whatsoever on crime or gun violence, generally speaking. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't have the facts on that because I haven't studied it to that depth, but it's easy to see how he came to that conclusion. I mean that in a supportive manner. I mean, yeah. Because you look, you look, look at all the states that have universal background checks that have assault weapons bans that have this, that have that. Those are the states where we have uh, the majority of our, of our mass shootings. California in 2021 led the nation in active shooter incidents. That's according to the FBI. That's not my opinion. They led the country in active shooter incidents. They have more gun control than any other state in the union. So the book you're talking about makes sense to me. His findings make total sense to me because gun control empowers the criminal. No matter what control it is, it empowers the criminal. It puts the law-abiding citizen in a weakened state. Well, in, and, and, and pivoting over to gun-free zones, which, you know, California would love to be a gun-free zone. Criminals don't pay attention to the laws. Pivot, but I, Chicago's the same way, and I always re- recount the story. I lived in Oak Park. Uh, my wife and I bought our first house there. My recollection, it was the first city in the entire United States to ban the ownership of firearms. Well, you know, I was perfectly comfortable with violating the ban. I, I wasn't going to live in a home without a firearm. Is there to protect me and my family. I'll deal with the aftermath and criminal charges or whatever after I'm done dealing with someone who's trying to kill me. But... The, the, the reality is that the gun laws don't have any impact on people who are willing to do it. And also, the whole idea of gun-free zones is crazy. That's so the criminals know they're least likely to be facing resistance. Like, for example, I'm pretty confident the White Sox play in a gun-free zone environment. I don't think you can bring firearms into the, 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 into the stadium there. And yet two people got shot at a White, White Sox game in the stadium. What in the hell's with that one? Right. And they're still trying to figure that out. I can tell these these guys are perplexed. They have no idea how this happened. But you're exactly right. You, you're sitting in, a, of all places, though, think about it. You want to think about something scary? You're in a gun zone in Chicago. I mean, you know, you know you're in a bad spot. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you had two women shot. 
fortunately, neither one fatally. But uh, I, I don't. And it seems to me it may have been one bullet that went through a calf of one woman and then hit another woman. But I could be wrong. There may have been two bullets. Uh, and, and they're being very hush-hush about it. But it is a fact that two people were shot in a White Sox home game. Wow. And when I lived in Chicago, my wife and I were there for eight years, 90 to 98. The crime was actually higher then. Um, we live in a neighborhood where we would find uh, spent shell casings in the alleyway, when we bought the house in Oak Park, about four weeks before we moved back to Cincinnati, someone got their head blown off in the alleyway three blocks from my house. I mean, that's an environment where you do not want to be without deadly force like a firearm. You need something like that to protect yourself. Right, but when you lived there, you lived there in 1998, you were right in the middle of the handgun ban. Yeah. So you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to own a handgun, but what you're finding in your alley is all the spent shell casings from where the criminals were firing their handguns because they're never going to give them up. I mean, Chicago's the best lesson ever in learning that. They had a handgun ban from 82 to 2010, and during that time, murder was even higher than right now. Yes, sir. Way higher. Way higher. And that's because criminals will not give up their guns. So a gun ban is a non-starter for me. I'm not giving mine up because I'm not going to sit in my home knowing they can just come in and I can't defend myself, my family, right. anybody. I think I, I think I tweeted about four weeks ago. I said, if there was a gun ban today, we were ordered to hand them all in, even if it were an international ban and it was enforced this way and that way. And we had two days to hand everything in. I said, in three weeks, if someone breaks in my house, I'm going to shoot them dead. And <laughs> And so people can figure that out, but I'm not giving them up. No, I'm with you. And that's interesting because I mentioned Jeff Monroe, the author of that 2008 book, Analyzing the Brady Bill. I talked with his wife, the co-owner of the firearms uh, store, and she is very knowledgeable. We talked about that concept. And sure, it was her mind that she said, you know what, if they had a nationwide ban and they said that you had a ball tournament, she goes, I bet more than half the population would just absolutely walk up and turn them in. And, and, and would abide. And I said, really? I mean, most of the firearm owners that I know, AWR Hawkins, are just like you. They'd be like, over my dead body, there's a Second Amendment, and I can read it. And I've read the cases related to it. I'm allowed to own a firearm in this country. Right, right. And, uh, yeah. and I'm, it's, just, it's just silly talk. But it's silly talk that these Democrats emerge after a crime and they want to take the guns of the hundreds of millions of gun owners who did not commit the crime. That's their response. I mean, that would, that would be like to put it, to help you understand how ignorant it is. It'd be like a getaway driver at a bank robbery. Once they catch him, they found out he was driving a Chevy Impala and they want to take away every Chevy Impala from every American who that day might have been doing nothing but going to lunch or work or church. Uh, A.W.R. Hawkins, I, I could go you one better on that. Chicago Merritt was getting all kinds of crap just yesterday because he sues Kia because Kia fails to you know, have adequate uh, uh, theft prevention devices built into their cars. I'm sure you heard about that. And people are like, wait a second. Oh, yeah. Kia is not the problem. It's people stealing cars that are the problem, you idiot. <laughs> uh, well, that's just like the, you have the, the mayor of uh, Los Angeles who says that the lack of consequences for criminals doesn't drive crime. That's not what it is. It's other things. But it's not a lack of consequences. And it's just like we're – 
where where are these people coming from? And they are wrong. See, one of the reasons that that a lot of my friends never have somebody break into their home is because people know if they break into their home, they're going to get a lot of lead real quick. And and the the fear of that consequence it controls the action a lot. Well, John Lott's book, uh, More Guns, Less Crime, proved that statistically as well, A.W.R. Hawkins. Right. That's a great book. And that book is timeless because it's true. And uh, that's how truth is, timeless. But, yeah, it, and Lott, what, Lott wrote, what Lott wrote, number one, is common sense. But number two, he uses empirical evidence to prove it. He went county by county, and where there, were, where there was higher gun ownership, uh, there was less crime. And it's just as simple as that. And anyone listening to me goes, well, that makes sense. I don't know why you even have to write a book about it. Well, you have to write a book because you've got to get that argument out there and, and with provable empirical evidence uh, so you can use it to shut the left up. And uh, uh, Lot's book, uh, that's, a, that's a book worth reading more than once every now and then. War Guns, Less Crime by John Lott. My guest today, AWR Hawkins, Breitbart is where you find him. Book market, folks, you'd be glad you did. Until our next conversation, keep writing what you write. Keep speaking the truth to power, AWR Hawkins, and you always have a spot here on the 55KRC Morning Show. Thank you, buddy. Great to be with you. Have a great day. You do the same, my friend. Coming up at 8.20, 55KRCD Talk Station. You know, the great KRCD Talk Station. A very happy Tuesday to you. Boy, I sure enjoyed having Frank White in the studio. If you didn't get a chance to listen, he was late. He got caught in traffic. Or actually, I think he said he got lost. Frank is 96. He still drives. Sharp as a tack. The guy is razor sharp. I got to, I just enjoyed my opportunity speaking with him both on and off air. And we will definitely try to get him back on. He's just got such wonderful stories. And I got a lot of email from folks talking about how wonderful it was hearing to him. Illustrative of them. Let me give props to Jeff. Listening to this gentleman should make us youngsters, <laughs> he's closer to my age, Jeff is, realize and be thankful for the world this generation provided for us. Anyone who thinks they're having a bad day should listen to the obstacles this individual, Frank, and many like him had to overcome in their lifetimes just to survive. We have a much better world to live in today with its faults due to people like this man. You're right, Jeff. Summing it up great. And that's a great lesson for children who think that, you know, life sucks and they got it. Woe is me. You listen to a man talk about a period of time when one out of every three Americans did, had no job. People starving, the p- people committing suicide left and right on the heels of the statistics I read earlier about veteran suicide rates going up. Oh, my. Anyway, he's an inspiring guy. He really is. And man, I'm telling you, it just cracks me up that he will, he will not accept a ride from anybody. 96 old, years old, still getting behind the wheel, still doing a great job driving around. Won't even accept a ride from family members. So thank you, Frank. If you're out there listening, God love you, man. God love you. So podcast, that'll be at 55krc.com. Joe, put that one up there. Uh, over to local stories. If you'd like to call, feel free. 513-749-5500, 800-823-TALK. Go pound 550 on AT&T phones. Um, unrelated to local stories, but it is a local issue. And this is this is kind of freaky. Apparently, uh, there's been a public health address in Virginia. Health officials there are saying people are testing for something called Alpha-Gal, G-A-L, Alpha-Gal syndrome. It is a, they say, little-known syndrome. It's a meat allergy. Now, can you imagine being allergic to meat? Well, uh, be be wary and fearful of the Lone Star Tick. 
This meat allergy is contracted through tick bites, and they say it can be life-threatening. causes hives, uh, angioedema, upset stomach, diarrhea, runny, stuffy nose, sneezing, headaches, and a drop in blood pressure can even cause death. This according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which had to issue a warning about the syndrome last month. It's okay. It's sped through tick bites, specifically from the Lone Star Tick. Now, you can look up the Lone Star Tick. It's appropriately named. Right on the back, it's got a little spot. It stands out, kind of like a you know the 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 um, red uh, uh, triangular kind of shaped thing on a black widow spider. This is on its back. That's the tick that carries this, and apparently uh, it's prevalent in Virginia. This disease it comes from the saliva on the tick, so it doesn't even have to bite you very long. Once it gets its fangs into you, you get this alpha gal or can get this alpha gal syndrome. So just as a warning, that they say the best thing you can do. First off, wear bright colors. And I thought, why would bright are ticks afraid of bright colors? No, actually, it's so you can see them. Wear the appropriate tick repellent. Make sure you've got your socks and your shoes appropriately tied up and when you're out doing yard work, because there are literally ticks everywhere. So just a little heads up on what could have been in a plague update there. I wouldn't want to be allergic to meat, honestly. <laughs> Changes coming to Central Parkway. Since I inquire, is uh, Patricia Newbury reporting on this one? Apparently, tonight's the night at AQL Stadium. They're going to release the uh, new Central Project or Central Parkway project, reimagining of Central Parkway moving forward this evening. City's Department of Transportation and Engineering going to be presenting the designs at 5:30 p.m. TQL Stadium, an event open to the public. They say the project will transform Central Parkway between Plum and Liberty into a quote. Safe, vibrant, and inclusive urban corridor. Close quote. Apparently, it's supposed to connect downtown over the Rhine and the West End, according to the press release. Nobody knows what it looks like. The city wouldn't provide any advanced renderings. They do know that it is supposed to be what uh, they're going to be adhering to what is referred to, in their words, complete streets principles which is described as considering the needs of drivers, pedestrians, bicyclists, and public transportation riders. Drivers, my butt, says Joe Strecker. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. They are narrowing the street from 106 feet to 70 feet. I guess the extra space will be used for bike lanes and pedestrian lanes, presumably the streetcar, so multi-use. The one thing that was absent from the reporting on this, and I kind of cracked me up that it wasn't in there, is the word equity. So they're not using the word equity, but they are using the word inclusive. So uh, expensive project it is. Landsman was able to get $3.5 million from the feds of the $5 million he was going to try to get for the project. Back in late 21, late 2021, apparently the, they said the plan was going to cost around $20 million. I'll leave it for you to decide whether the price of that project is going to go up since 2021. Details released tonight. If you want to show up at TQL Stadium tonight, you might learn firsthand. 835 at 55 KRC Talk Station. Feel free to call. And coming up uh, after at the last segment of the program, Ray Matre, my veteran friend and co-owner of Fast and Pro Roofing, is going to give us some roofing advice. And that's, uh, that's good advice for people, especially like me, who never get on their roof. Station. 840 55 KRC the Talk Station. Very happy Tuesday to you. Yeah, I got a couple of callers on the on the uh, the ticks and the meat allergy. Real quick, let me just read this line: The tick saliva prompts an immune system response from the human body to develop antibodies in an attempt to combat the foreign substance. However, the human immune system apparently has a difficult time determining whether or not the alpha gal 
carbohydrate floating around in your blood is from the tick, which it wants to fight off, or the hamburger you just ate, potentially resulting in an allergic reaction. That statement from the Virginia Department of Health. Apparently, if you have to avoid, if you get this tick-borne disease, you have to avoid eating anything with the alpha-gel sugar molecule in it because that's what triggers allergies to certain types of meats and high in fat. They say pork, beef, rabbit, lamb, venison, or, making it worse, products made from mammals, including protein powders, dairy products, and gelatin. So you can strike all those off your diet if you contract this Alpha-gal syndrome, known as AGS. Welcome to the morning show, Julie. Thanks for calling in. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, Brian. Um, okay, so you really hit a chord with this alpha-gal. I know a decent amount about it because my niece has it. Oh, no. So she, um, yeah, she has, so I, yeah, I can tell you a, a, fair, a fairly decent amount um, about it uh, or sorry, it, it, as far as information goes. So she has um, some property down in Vanceburg, Kentucky, and she shares it with her sister-in-law, and I have a brother-in-law that lives down there. And they're constantly picking ticks off of them. Well, about three years ago, um, my niece got violently ill. She was making a pot roast. Um, she lives in Atlanta, uh, close to Atlanta, Georgia now, but she just they still have property in Vanceburg. Um, but so my point is, it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere. But anyway, so she was rushed, and she'd never heard of it, rushed to the hospital. She'd never heard of this alpha gal. He explained it to her how it comes from the ticks and all that. So she's anaphylactic. She has to carry an EpiPen with her um, or... It's something to do with an EpiPen. I don't know if these it's the exact consistency of what's in a typical EpiPen for like a peanut allergy. Yeah, but, but functionally, anyway, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, probably. She cannot be. She cannot cook anything. Um, as far as meat is concerned, it will throw her into immediate, you know, an, oh an allergy that it becomes. God. Yeah, it's really bad. I hate it because we're very close, and she can't go on vacations or go to a restaurant. This oh is how my bad it is now. God. Yeah, so this is not going down a rabbit hole. I mean, I do pay a lot of attention to what's going on. So I was listening to Glenn Beck about, I guess it was about a year ago, um, uh, or I'm sorry, about a year after she got it, because I think she's had it for like three years. Her sister-in-law also has. You can have it two degrees. My niece has a very extreme degree. Um, they check your numbers by blood. She gets checked like maybe every six months to, in, pr- in hopes and prayers that it actually drops, that number drops, and then her allergy isn't as severe. Her sister-in-law Again, shares that property. She was also bitten by a tick. Her numbers are not as high as my niece's, so she doesn't have as many issues. Um, she's able to do some things around me, and she doesn't have quite the severe reaction. However, like I said, I was listening to Glenn back about a year after she got this alpha gal, and he was talking about um, the manipulation of ticks um, by someone, and he played like an excerpt of this person giving a speech. I didn't know who it was, and I was only half listening, so I started to do a little research and dig it up. Um, and then, actually, my husband, who was always like, well, you just don't believe everything you hear. you got to do the research. But he, as well, had already heard of this. Um, this um, It was an NYU professor. Um, he was sitting on a stage, um, and he was giving a speech, or he was in a panel talking about alpha-gal and ticks. And my husband said he had also done a paper on it. But this guy said... This goes along with, and again, I I don't necessarily believe it's a conspiracy at this point because I know that Bill okay. Gates had done some manipulating with tick, or with mosquitoes. But anyway, this guy did. He was an NYU professor. I literally found the video. This has been like two years ago because it's been about three years now. And he talked about manipulating ticks. And, and the ticks have been increasing in numbers, interestingly, lately. 
Um, and I've never seen numbers like this before. Um, but anyway, he talked about they can manipulate ticks to keep you from eating meat. And the numbers are oh. increasing. And there is a movement, as we know, anti-meat with all the flatulence, the cows, the, the you know, carbon footprint, supposedly that, you know, they're, I mean, we see more and more. They talk about that. They want you to eat bugs for protein. But this guy, like I said, I just tried to dig it up really quickly, That's, and I could not find the video. I get the gist of what you're NYU. saying. This is kind of mm-hmm. a la Wuhan Institute of Virology kind of research we're talking about here for maybe nefarious purposes. I'll have to look that right. one up. I will trust you yeah. at your word. I have no reason to doubt you. Why would you make it up? So there's one more little homework assignment for us to look out there and see if we can't dig up that. Someone will send me a link to that, I'm sure, Julie. If you find it, you go ahead and do that, too. Thanks for the call, Julie. Stay the hell away from ticks, folks. This sounds awful. Can you imagine not being able to eat meat? Ugh. 540, 845, 55 cares to detox. The 